was so kind. Well, good morning. It is good to be with you this morning, and you can tell that I'm set for the day, but we have just an hour together. A little bit of coffee, a little bit of water. Like I tell my team at work, um, the coffee makes me a better me, and that's what we do. I do want to acknowledge two people in the room with me today. My husband, Nick Damoth, is right here. And you will hear more um, why that matters. And my mom, Carlene Gale, is sitting over here at this table. And they drove in an hour and a half. I was already in the city, but they drove in an hour and a half just to be with me. And that is humbling, and I'm grateful, and they, they do a great job. Um, the opportunity that I have to serve in the Minnesota House of Representatives um, does not come without family sacrifice. And I will talk about that a little bit more as we move forward um, during our time together. But I just want to lay a little bit of framework. I need to understand who is in the room, who's choosing to be together for this hour that we have. Are you currently involved in politics or a, a very aware, um, whether it's on your local, state, or national level? And if you don't mind just kind of putting up a hand, that helps me understand. Thank you. Um, who has no desire to be a part of politics ever, but you figured out you better learn a little bit of something with what's going on? And that is like, don't, you don't follow it real closely, and that's fine. If there's anybody else that it would be helpful for me to know who you are, because not everybody raised their hands, but we're in a church thing, so I get that. Um, if it would be helpful, just shout out real quick um, kind of where you are on politics and, and your involvement or non-involvement. Go ahead. As a as a pastor, just trying to navigate leading my congregation through turmoil and disagreements and all that political stuff is kind of what I'm in. Very good. Thank you. Anybody else? Go ahead. Very good. Okay. Excellent. Thank you. Anyone else? Go ahead. I know you too. Hi. Uh, very aware, but not involved anywhere and trying to figure out how to be involved. Okay, very good. Thank you. Um, you know, the, the absolute honor that you have, and I'm going to shout out two more people that are just strolling in. I've got a little more family here and literally strolling in because they're pushing a stroller. That's why I could say that. But my daughter, Nicole, her husband, Ben, our son-in-law, um, and their youngest little guy, I don't know if he's sleeping or awake, but one of my grandkids, um, they are uh, pastors at Stillwater at Watermark and so happy to have them here too. And that is Zayn, the baby. He's obviously not sleeping. But, you know, the opportunity that each one of us have to be involved both locally in our church and that matters we're plugged in in our churches we need to be involved in our community but you can have influence both in your church and in politics and it doesn't mean that you have to be currently serving but whether you're a pastor that's trying to lead your congregation through challenging times and polar opposite views and we don't want to isolate people whether you're trying to do that or you're just trying to understand a little bit and let me tell you I'll probably mention this again but if you are only getting your information from the news or from social media I'm gonna ask you to stop that because that is not serving any of us well you can get a little bit, but if that is your true source, it's not working at all. But the reason that I believe that involvement in politics does matter is I believe that God 
in this day in 2023 is stirring the hearts of believers to figure out how we can lead people through this time. And I know that there is a desperate need for godly leadership as we are moving through both in our state and our nation and our world. I'm going to share a few verses with you, and I don't have, I'm not putting anything up on the screen today, but I'm going to share a few verses, and if you want to jot these down, I can reiterate them at the very end. But the first one is Proverbs 29.2, and I'm going to read it out of the ESV version, and it says, When the righteous increase, the people rejoice, but when the wicked rule, the people groan. Proverbs 29.2, when the righteous increase, the people rejoice, but when the wicked rule, the people groan. But then I am encouraged by this verse, and those of you are, that are pastors in the space here, I am not, so if I'm a little theologically off, just bear with me, because that's your gifting, not mine. Happy to learn, but Romans 5.20 says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And that is what I am counting on for God in the, from God in this day, that his grace would abound all the more. His grace can um, help us as we are talking with family, with friends, with other members of our congregation, those that don't share our beliefs, but we need God's grace in each one of those conversations. I'm going to give you a little bit of background how I first became involved in politics because I was probably one of the very least political people that were any place in my family. I just didn't really have a lot of time for it, didn't think it really mattered, it does. Um, but I first became in involved in politics in an elected official position. In 2007, um, we live in Cold Spring, and my kids had attended the Recorey School District. We had two that had graduated, two that were already still in the district, and I became aware that out of the three spots on school board that were up for election that year in 2007, only one incumbent had filed, which left two open seats. And I read that in the paper, and I thought, that's terrible. This is such an important thing. Somebody should do this. And so I ripped that page out of the newspaper, because it was 2007, and we still got a newspaper. I ripped that page out, and I left it at my husband, Nick. I left it at his place for dinner that night. I thought, oh, we have to have a conversation about this. So I said, hey, told him kind of what it said. I said, I think you need to run for the school board. And he said, I would never run for the school board. <laughs> You do it. And I said, well, I can't do that. And I remember him saying, why not? And I thought, I, I don't know. Why, why not? And I didn't really know what it meant, but I looked online to figure out what you needed to do to be involved in school board. And you needed to be 18 years old and a voter in that district. You know, not a whole high bar there. I did have some other conversations, though, um, with other people that, at, you know, I talked to some school administrators and just tried to figure out what that meant. What I knew being involved in the school board would do is it um, affects our taxes because there's tax dollars that go to educate our kids. It affects curriculum and our community because I really believe that if we have strong uh, schools within our communities, our communities are better for them. People want to move into them. If we have failing schools, people are going to want to move out. And so I thought, all right, I'm going to do this. It was already past the filing deadline, so I had to run a write-in campaign, 
What that meant is I needed enough people in the community that I was serving, so three towns and then the townships around. I needed enough people to first know that I was running and I wanted to do the job. They would have to remember my name enough to be able to write it down and then those that were counting ballots would be able to identify that it was actually me. Well, there was, like I said, one incumbent, but then there were three people that filed for the other two seats. I happened to win that writing campaign, jumped in, and started to learn what I needed to learn. From there, I ran two other following successful campaigns for the next two elections on school board, so I did serve for a total of 11 years. But in uh, 2018, at the beginning of the year, I looked back at my 11 years on school board, and I thought, you know, I think I have served well. We got a $29 million building referendum passed. That building was done. Our, our students had a high graduation rate. Our staff was solid. And I thought, I think I can be done here, and I'm not going to seek re-election. But I didn't know what was going to be next. I just knew I was going to be done. And so as I was going to finish out that term, which was going to end the end of December of 2018, on Memorial Day, so the end of May, Memorial Day of 2018, um, my representative at the time, his name is Jeff Howe, called my house phone on a holiday. Now the reason we still had the house phone was because I was on the school board and I didn't want to take calls on my cell phone from community members 24-7, so I didn't give that number out. Now normally, because we have kids that live in the city, we did a late dinner um, so they would be after traffic. And that call would have gone unanswered, but my mom, who you met, happened to answer the phone on Memorial Day, a house phone on Memorial Day. She came and found me and said, hey, Representative Jeff Howe is on the phone for you. At the time, we had some um, controversy within our district with some administration, and there were some things going on, but I was not the board chair. So in my mind, I'm thinking, why is he calling me about this today? I don't even know him, and I didn't know him. Pick up the phone, hey, this is Lisa, you know, <laughs> how can I help you? And he said, this is Je Representative Jeff Howe. Have you ever thought of running for uh, the House of Representatives? My answer to him was, no, that has never crossed my mind. Because it didn't, I had never thought of it. What he was going to tell me then was the plan that they had, he was going to be running for the one and only open Senate seat at the time. Our senator, so where I lived mattered, our senator was Michelle Fishbach, who was put into the position of lieutenant governor. When Governor Dayton had to put his then lieutenant governor in to fill for Al Franken, who needed to leave the U.S. Senate because he made bad choices, and so there was this whole trajectory of changes that were going on. They were looking for someone that would run for um, what was going to be vacated, um, but regular election vacated by my representative, where I lived, because you have to live in your district. They were looking for somebody so when they made the announcement, they could say, you know, and these are the people that are running. Well, I said I, um, to Representative Howe, we didn't know each other. I, I, I said, well, how did you know to call me? He said, my wife remembered that our boys played hockey together 10 years earlier, and he had been deployed at the time. And so we, we didn't know each other, but he said, you know, she remembered you were on the school board, and so we thought that we would do this. The reason I'm telling you this part of the story is it doesn't matter what your background is or where you are. If God is stirring you, anyone can be involved on any level, without a doubt, for sure. That is so true. So I said, well, 
um, Representative Howe, uh, I don't even follow anything on a local level or a, on a state level because I think you guys fight too much and you don't get anything done. And he said, well, that's really not the case. And I said, that's what the news shows me. And he said, no, 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 that's not it. The way that we make decisions as a family is we talk about them especially something that was going to be potentially public. And so I um, went back downstairs and sat down with the family that was there. I'm like, you're not going to believe this call. And we laughed first. And then we started talking about what could I bring to that office. If I chose to do this, um, what would I be able to actually bring? Um, elected official experience, conservative values, family matters, um, business owner and, and taking all of those things and putting them together, what could I actually bring to that? Well, I had told uh, Representative Howe that I would call him back on Wednesday, so go from Monday till Wednesday. Um, but that night before, you know, kids left and my husband and I were getting ready for bed and I said, hold on, there's a verse that I found a couple of weeks ago that I think matters in this case. And that verse was Romans tw uh, 16, 23. And I was in a women's Bible study and as we were reading, it's where Paul mentions Erastus, the city's director of public works. Now that verse doesn't mean anything to anybody else, but a couple weeks before that call, that verse when I read it illuminated me to the fact that God cared enough that he had Paul write in the Bible something about a public works or a government official in the Bible. And I remember that verse a couple of weeks before this phone call, like, God, you actually care what we do. And I didn't know if that was because I was leaving the school board or what, but God actually cared. I took that verse back to my ladies' Bible study, and I'm like, look at this. God cares. And all of these ladies sitting around went, oh, okay. And I thought, apparently that was just for me. <laughs> so, so the night of this phone call from Rep Howe, um, Howe uh, when I told Nick and I grabbed my Bible and I had dated it in there, you know, I underlined dated it, it was me and I don't have the right Bible because I've been traveling. So I don't have the right Bible to tell you what that was. But I said, look at this. And Nick said, well, there's your answer. You're apparently supposed to do this. And so I had um, called our one daughter that had been out of town the next morning. I said, you're not going to believe this call. And so, you know, and I told her about it. She said, that's why you said no to leadership for the fall from this same women's Bible study because God has something else for you. I thought, okay, you know, I better call him back. So I called um, Representative Howe back that night and I said, he thought I was calling to tell him no because it was a day early, but I said, I'm going to go ahead and say yes to this, but I don't know what it means. I know nothing about running a political campaign. I don't know what it means. He said, well, first you're gonna need to raise $30,000. And I said, no, 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 no. Social media is free. He said, that's not how this works. And then that opened my mind up to what it actually takes campaign finance laws, and it takes money to run for office. Could I change, if I could change that, would I? Yes, I would. But I can tell you that the party that I am involved with, with the last election by the opposing party, they outspent us on every race up to five times. And so it actually takes money. We're not, not going to talk about that in detail here, but it takes money behind it. So I worked really hard. I met the people that I needed to. I learned how to door knock. I learned to, have, to listen to constituents, what mattered to them. I raised the $30,000 in three months, and I did what I needed to do. And by the time that election came, election day, I knew I had left nothing undone. I had served well. Whether I would be elected or not was going to be up to God, but I had done everything that I could and worked as hard as I could. 
Nick and I went and we voted together and I don't campaign on election day. That is just something I figured if the voters haven't made up their mind by then, probably not going to change them at that point is how I looked at it. And so um, we planned a party, but it was going to be that evening before the election results were in because I didn't want it to be a concession party or a victory party. I just wanted it to be a party because I thought that would be fun. So we, we had some people plan with us and we enjoyed it. And then we went over to the next event where I got the results and I got a call for them from then the Speaker of the House, Kurt Doubt, and he said, hey, congratulations, Lisa, you won. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, <laughs> you know, like, okay, you know, two days later we were down at the Capitol and um, getting some training and what happens is in Minnesota, when you serve as either a senator or a representative, if you live more than 50 miles outside of your district, you um, are eligible for housing and so I had to find an apartment that I could stay in and so there is great sacrifice that is made from all elected officials. But on the level that I'm at, those of us that live outside, we leave our families. Those that live within the metro area, our days are minimum of 10 to whatever hours, you know, they'll go through the night. People are sacrificing their families while we are directly in session and we are never off. We're in session, but then we are campaigning in the House. It's a campaign cycle of two years. And so the minute your election happens, you are working that year, but then it continues on. So I want you to keep in mind, be praying for your local electeds, whether you agree with them or not, because it matters. We're sacrificing time with our family. Um, the job is incredibly challenging. Even if you agree with some of the things, it is still very, very challenging. So I, um, I ran that first race, won it, was in my first term. I got to work on early childhood. Um, I also had a chance to work on education finance because of my background on the school board. And then I did Greater Minnesota Jobs. We fully expected that we would have been in the majority going forward. We lost the majority, so I went in. Um, my party was in the minority. The Senate was still in the majority, and so there was a divided government, which I think serves people well. There was divided government, and so all the input that people were giving us, there at least was a little bit more fairness than what we're seeing right now. Um, COVID happened, George Floyd happened, it changed our state, it changed our nation, and it changed our world. And in my bio, as you listen to Kristen, um, where she talked about me being the first woman and the first woman of color elected to top leadership within my party, within the House, um, I had not come in because I am more white passing. Um, I had not come in when I was first elected to say, hey, I'm Lisa Damoth and I happen to be black and this is the whole thing. I just got in and did the work. That ended up serving me very well because when George Floyd happened, and I was the only person of color within my caucus in the house. I said, let me tell you some different things that you may not have been thinking about and how this affects my community, how this affects all of us, whether it has been our actual experience, I don't like the word lived experience, that's just a personal thing, but whether it has been our actual experience or not. When I was growing up, we lived multiple different um, areas in the metro, but from 7th through 11th grade, we lived on 31st and Elliott in, in Minneapolis, which was just blocks from George Floyd Square. So when everything was going down over that time, I had two computers up at home because of COVID. We were all home, but we were working remotely. I had two, two computers up. I had my phone. Nick was actually traveling, and I remember um, trying to go to bed, but having the computers open saying, God, what does this mean? You know, we've seen 
violence, we've seen racial disparities, we've seen all of these things, but what does this mean and what are you calling me to do in this moment that you have ordained me for? And we had lived in Painesville. I was born in Painesville. We'd lived there till I was um, seven, and then we moved to the Metro because I was called the N-word almost every day of first grade. And I'll tell you another thing that I love how God can redeem and restore because we moved out of Painesville. That was my experience. I represent Painesville as their state representative, and I had a chance to go back and door knock in 2018. Some of the last names that I remember were very disrespectful to my family. And I didn't go back saying, um, watch this. I went back saying, God, give me favor. You know, I just want to serve. Just give me favor. So taking that experience, thank you. Thank you. Taking that experience and bringing it forward into 2020, um, I realized and I remember Nick saying, did you ever think that God would take what you experienced as a little girl and use it for good? And I said, no, because I didn't think it could be. I didn't think it mattered. I didn't know how it worked, but I'm willing and I'm ready to be used by God. And so that opened conversation and doors. And I remember a couple days after George Floyd, we were down in the most... Um, the, like the, the first target that had been burned and looted and there were a small group of representatives that were down there with some of the local elected representatives from that area, some business owners and a few. Nobody knew my background, but when I said to colleagues across the aisle in that space, and I said, and I grew up on 31st and Elliott, I remember walking and the smell of smoke was so strong. I remember walking past that area and having one of my um, colleagues from the other party on the other side of the aisle is how we say that I'm trying to be very nonpartisan in this um, and she looked at me and she said this has to be hard for you this was your neighborhood how are you doing and it was a moment of where we disagree on so many things it was a moment together and I said it is but this is where you represent currently how are you doing and she said it's really hard and so when I watch that happen, knowing God can take our experience and use that, that is what we have to do. So we went through the rest of 20, and then coming into this last election cycle, we fully expected a flip of we thought we were going to regain the majority in the House. We thought the Senate was going to maintain their majority, and there was a potential low, but a potential chance that we could have taken the governor. We thought for sure we had the attorney general and it was going to flip our state for what we felt was going to be better. And that did not happen. And I remember I was at home the night of the election and um, tallying things up. Nick had an early flight out and so he was already sleeping and I'm thinking, my numbers must be off, at least for these races that I expected. And I called my comms director and, or I sent him a text and I said, hey, Give me the numbers, mine aren't right. He said, we're not gonna make it. I said, you gotta be kidding me. Because if we were gonna take the majority, what I had expected is because I had been in for, this is gonna be my third term, I was hoping to maybe get a, a chair of a committee, which is a really important thing because you um, can decide what bills you're gonna hear and you can kind of move legislation forward. After serving in the minority for the last four years, I hadn't been able to really move the legis legislation that I thought was important. So I was looking at it as an, op am I on a timer? 
okay. Because um, I know I'm looking at a clock, like, am I missing? Um, and so I, when we weren't going to get it, I just thought, okay. And I remember that night just feeling devastated, not just because of party control, but the opportunity to impact for good. And I thought, God, I cannot just sit and be mad. What do you want from me? I'm tired of being mad about things, you know, like, we can't do this, we can't do this. That's not my personality, but it's very prevalent within the state capitol. And I thought, well, I don't know, maybe I could, I don't know what I'm going to do. We had a caucus, so our caucus um, was going to be meeting on Friday. So that was, election night was Tuesday. Um, on Friday, we had a, a big dinner on, on Thursday night. And I thought, God, do you want me to run for leadership to maybe lead our caucus? Our other leader had served very well, but third time in the, in the minority, a lot of times there's changeover of top leadership. And I thought, how do you want me to do this? And the morning of um, our what was going to be our closed caucus election, so Friday after the um, after the um, Friday after the election, before we went in, at 6 o'clock in the morning, I read the verse that was 1 Peter 4.10 out of the New Living Translation. And it said, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. And I screenshotted that and I thought, okay, God, if you want me to step up into something, I'll maybe do that, but I don't know. I had breakfast with a couple of other colleagues that morning and before, before we went into the big meeting and a, um, one of the women said, an elected official, she said, you know, I just want to read this verse that my friend just sent me. And it was 1 Peter 4.10. God has given you each a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. And I looked at the colleagues and said, I'm running for leadership. And they said, Okay. Well, I got in my car, ran over to the Capitol. I tried to call Nick. He did not answer. So all day I'm in this closed caucus and I can't tell him, hey, by the way, I might be doing this, but I don't know how it'll go. He just didn't answer. And so we go through and it's a closed caucus and it is very, um, it is very, think of, there's 64 people in our caucus. Just so put that in perspective, 64 people. By the time the elections happen, we kick out staff. So it is just us. We are all type A, get it done. Come on, we have the right answers. You bring that kind of personality together. It is powerful and loud and it just happens in the space. So I put my name in to run as minority leader. What that position does is it leads the direction of our caucus um, it also allows that person, now me, to negotiate toward the end of session with the governor and the other leaders, so the Speaker of the House, the Majority Leader in the Senate, and the Minority Leader in the Senate. And it also sets forward a trajectory to regain the majority at the next election. So it's like dual tracks and it's, it's intense. And I didn't have anything else to bring other than a verse that God gave me that I thought, okay, here we go. And so there were other people that ran, can't talk too much about that, but someone questioned me because you have, I, I can't remember if it's five or eight minutes to present who you are and why it works and why you think you could lead the caucus. And then you're opened up to questions and they fire them at you and they are hard. One of the questions that came my way was somebody saying, if you were elected as minority leader, you would then be the first woman, the first woman of color to lead this. You would be the different face for both the party and our caucus. Um, what does that mean? And I said to the entire group, I said, if you are going to elect me because I'm a woman or because I'm a black woman, do not vote for me for that. 
because I didn't want, if elected, I didn't want the next two years to be wondering if they really thought I had what it took to lead them or if they just did it to kind of new face, let's go this way. And so I um, was elected as leader and the comms director. And what that means is all of our, our uh, leadership staff potentially could lose their jobs. And that is not what I did, but it was really kind of dicey. And so the comms, the current comms director came down to me and he said, um, I've prepared a press release for you that's going to go out. Can you approve this? And I said, yes. And in there it said that I made history. I said, I don't want to make history. And he's like, you did. And I said, how did I make history? And he said, because you're the first woman. He said, you're the first woman to lead the caucus and you're the first black woman. I said, okay, well, and he said, the press is waiting out there. They want to talk to you. And I said, I don't want to talk about that. He's like, they're going to ask you, you know. <laughs> And then I asked him to um, pull all the leadership staff together. I didn't want them, it was a Friday, I didn't want them to leave not knowing if they had jobs or not. Well, by me doing that, every good intention here, I pull them together, they're probably thinking that I'm like, goodbye, kind of. I did not do that. I just said, thank you for what you've done. We're gonna figure this out together. And I have to tell you that comms director is my executive director right now for the next two years, um, top leadership level. And he is phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal person. So I want you to, remember that being faithful with the little things matters. Being faithful in church, I'd been our worship leader when we planted our church in 1993 at River of Life. I'd been our worship leader for 16 years. Did not know what that meant or how to do it, just figured out I'd learn. It gave me an opportunity to lead people and to listen to people. Luke 16.10 says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. But in my current position, the second half of that verse matters even more. The second half of that verse is, and whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. And so my prayer, um, the, as I was driving home the night of our caucus elections, realizing, I mean, literally thought I was going to have a heart attack. Um, like, what are we doing here, God? I know that you've empowered me, but oh my goodness. Um, my prayer that night as I was driving home was, God, please keep me humble without requiring you to humiliate me or to be humiliated, because <laughs> that's a really fine line. Just keep me humble. One of the other things that really had come to mind um, was I was going to have the opportunity to both lead 63 other members, our entire staff, and the state. And I sensed God saying, leave, better, leave people better than you found them. And that means your colleagues, your staff, and the state of Minnesota in the best way you can and the best influence that you have, leave people better than you found them. So I want to give you a little bit of an update, and we will save a few minutes at the end for questions, but I want to give you an update on some of the things that are going on in Minnesota right now, because as you're watching and hearing things, there are some very, very concerning things that are happening. So far, this, le and, and let me tell you, there is one party control in the state of Minnesota right now, and that means that they can determine the bills that are heard, the laws that are made, and the direction our state goes without input from anyone else. The majority in the Senate is held by one member, and the breakdown in the House is there are 64 people in my party, and then there are 70 in the other party. And so it is very tightly held. And that means almost just under 50% of Minnesotans are not being fairly represented 
if the controlling party is not having the conversations and pulling people together and listening from all points. So regardless of where you stand politically, um, it's a very, very tight margin. Um, but some of the things that have already happened in Minnesota is the abortion reproductive rights have been signed into law that was passed that was House File 1 by the majority in the House. That means that that was their number one goal was to guarantee abortion rights in the state of Minnesota. Now back if you look um, when Roe versus Wade was um, overturned by the Supreme Court, um, that did not change, it was not going to change anything in the state of Minnesota because of a court case, uh, Doe v. Gomez, uh, back in the 90s, constitutionally guaranteed the right to abortion in our state. So the change with Roe had nothing to do with Minnesota. So the law that was um, put forth as House File 1 was an over and above, and that has been signed into law, passed the House, passed the Senate, signed into law by the governor. Um, the most concerning part of that is there are no guardrails in there. There is nothing to keep anyone safe in there. And just a couple of the things is, there's an, it, it's um, reproductive rights, which includes abortion, sterilization, or whatever. And there is no minimum age limit. So when we know we have human trafficking in Minnesota, and a trafficker may have to bring a girl in for multiple abortions, with no parental notification, that trafficker can bring that girl in for sterilization and never have to worry about that problem. We had amendments that we offered on the House floor um, to try to put in some guardrails. We weren't going to be able to get rid of it. And some of you that are very pro-life um, have come at us saying, well, why wouldn't you try to eliminate that? You know, if we could put guardrails in and save some lives, it's better than doing nothing. Are we pro-life? Absolutely. Are we fighting for that? Yes, but it has to be measured. It absolutely has to be measured or we will get nothing done. One of the other amendments that we had offered was to make sure that um, places that are providing abortion care um, would be licensed and inspected. Currently, they are not. My nail salon is licensed and inspected on a regular basis. So what we were trying to do is just bringing forward and to the public's knowledge of how bad this bill actually was and now the law is. No safe guardrails. If a um, second and third trimester abortions, we tried to get them at least provided into a healthcare facility. That was voted down. And that day was gonna be my very first test as the new leader of our caucus. What we talk about is not taking the bait. So when we are baited into a conversation that takes us off the topic that is not gonna serve us well, we do a really good job in the legislature of getting like spun up on something and getting the focus completely away from where our messaging wanted to be. So our caucus met together when we knew this was coming forward. We had our amendments that were very strategic, some that I've already mentioned making sure that par the parents could be notified. Um, we were strategic in those. We talked about not going off the, you know, off the cuff and, and sticking to the message that we needed it to be, not taking the bait, and to stay with our plan. And like I said, wrangling 64 members was potentially a challenge. And I am so proud of the way that we did that in the House. Um, it was a devastating day, and it was very, very heavy. 
when we caucused the bill, that means just kind of went through it and all the details, on, it was gonna be up on a Thursday. We talked about it Tuesday night, and one of my members toward the end said, we should pray about this. And I said, oh, yes, we should. <laughs> yes, that would be great. And so I had announced, I said, when we go in at three o'clock to talk through the last bits of the bill before we go onto the actual floor at 3.30, we'll meet at 2.58 for anybody that wants to come and pray, and this is in our, like our private caucus room. We'll meet at 2.58. One of the things that I wanted to do, even though faith is incredibly important to me, I didn't want to take us so far that people that were maybe on the edge didn't think we were gonna get the work done within our own, own group. And so I said, we'll meet at 2.58, and then we'll start working on the actual work at three o'clock, and we'll go down to the floor. Every single one of my members and every single one of our staff were in that room at 2.58, actually a little bit earlier to pray. I had another member pray. It was short, sweet, kind of got to the point. We walked through everything that we needed to do, and then we went onto the house floor, and you could feel the oppression on the house floor, but our members stayed together on message. I was very proud of the way they worked together. They trusted my leadership, and it worked. Um, the strategy worked, and so I said, I quick announced, I said, let's quick caucus, that means going down to our room, and I just didn't want everybody to go off for the weekend, and we went down, we got down there, and I mean, we were high-fiving. The bill itself was terrible, but we stuck together and did what we could for Minnesotans. Somebody else said, we prayed before, let's quick pray after. And I said, go ahead, somebody else lead that, because I didn't want it to just be me. Um, somebody else led it, a new member. And that was such a win for us going forward. Did it change the outcome? No. But did it change hearts and lives in that room? I believe, yes, it did somehow. Some of the other things that are going through is the gender affirming care or the trans rights bill. Um, we heard that on the House floor. That particular bill, a couple of weeks ago, that particular bill brought us all the way through the night. Um, we debated that until about 5.30 in the morning. It was going to pass, um, but it was on the Senate floor yesterday and I was traveling, I was unable to kind of watch that, I know it passed. What you can do to help is contact the governor. He is the last line of defense on this particular piece of legislation. Um, but I want to tell you the day that, that um, the gender-affirming care um, was going to be up, what that does is there is no minimum age, so anyone could seek gender-affirming care, trans rights at any age, and the other very, very concerning part of that bill is it doesn't have to be a parent. It says it could be a parent or an entity no definition of what an entity is. Someone also could bring a child from out of state into our state for gender affirming care and there would be nothing that either the other parent or anyone could do to stop it. It infringes on parental rights. And you know, when people are making decisions as 18 and above as adults, that's one thing. I don't have to agree, but that's one thing. These are our children that this is being done to, and it is devastating. The governor is our very last defense because it passed in the House and it passed in the Senate. Complete party line votes, but that's why party matters. There was no backstop to it. Um, there's also um, a bill that was passed Thursday on the House. I'm not sure where it's gonna land. It would limit funding for post-secondary education students, so PSEO students that choose a faith-based college that they wanna go to. It would eliminate the funding that typically would flow to them um, if that college, Crown College, University of Northwestern, um, if they require a faith statement. And we've never crossed that line. 
at all. And so that was passed in the House, hasn't been heard in the Senate yet, but it is part of the education bill. There's also a lot of pressures on businesses coming up with a paid family leave. That sounds like a great thing, but it will decimate our businesses because it is unaffordable. Um, but I want to go back to the things that are being pushed forward that harm our children. And you know who seeks to harm our children when it comes right down to it. It is Satan. That is his goal, is to harm our children. Um, so there's a few verses that have come to me, and one is Luke 17, 1 through 2. And in the ESV again, and it says, And Jesus said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a, mile, if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. And if we are pushing trans rights on children, that is what we are accountable and responsible for. So there's a group called Minnesota Family Council that has a group of pastors that flood around the Capitol. Like there'll be two, three, four of them. Great organization as far as I've been able to get to know them. And these pastors will meet with any legislator. They're there to encourage or to just kind of be present. And the morning that we were gonna hear, the day that we were gonna hear the trans rights bill was a heavy bill. I, it, it felt heavier and, and worse than even the abortion bill. Um, I happened to run into one of these pastors, Pastor Brent, and he actually pastors Life 21 in Northfield. And I caught him on the stairs and he's like, today is a hard day for you guys. And I said, I know. He said, we are here. We are praying for you. He said, but I want to share a verse with you. Um, in Ephesians, it says, because he said, I am mad. He said, I am angry with what is going on in our state. And I looked at him and I'm like, well, me too, but wow, you know. And he said, but Ephesians 4 says, be angry, yet do not sin. And he said, so if we allow our anger to turn into bitterness and sin, it's not going to do anything. And I walked back to my office, grabbed my Bible, and I'm, I'm looking it up. And so I really want to encourage you. Um, I'm, I'm going to read this to you because it's just that important. Ephesians 4, 26 through 32 in the Amplified says, Be angry at sin, at immorality, at injustice, at ungodly behavior. Yet do not sin. Do not let your anger to cause you shame or allow it to last until the sun goes down. And do not grieve the devil, or I'm sorry, and do not give the devil an opportunity to lead you into sin by holding a grudge or nurturing anger or harboring resentment or cultivating bitterness. Do not let unwholesome, foul, profane, worthless, or vulgar words to ever come out of your mouth, but only such speech as is good for building up others according to the need and the occasion, so that it will be a blessing to those who hear you speak. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, perpetual animosity, resentment, strife, fault-finding, and slander be put away from you along with every kind of malice. Be kind and helpful to one another, tender-hearted, compassionate, understanding, forgiving one another readily and freely, just as God in Christ also forgave you. So I walked into that day having heard those words, but before we went on the floor, I had the Catholic Archbishop from Minnesota and six bishops in my office that wanted to meet with me and said, what else can we do? Thank you for standing up for, for life, 
but what can we do? I was able to have that conversation with them saying this is why this bill matters, the gender affirming trans bill, it matters, we're concerned. I said, please talk to our governor. You seem to be able to get him to move when it came to our church lockdowns. You were able to get him to shift a little bit on that. Talk to him, please. But then I quoted this verse to them and I said, and we can be angry and do not sin. And they prayed for me. They said, can we have, and I don't remember the bishop's name, but they said, can we pray for you? I said, please do. And I walked out of that knowing that God was with us. And I always have a, pl a playlist that I um, will play on the way into work, you know, partway through, I'll just kind of flip it over and it'll be random songs, you know, um, firm foundation. I've got joy and chaos. I have peace that makes no sense. And that's what I'm holding on to. But when I know that God's presence is in me and I can bring that into the space that he has called me for this time, and other of my colleagues that are bringing the light of Jesus in and we are not willing to give up, even though it is incredibly challenging, that's what it's going to take to make a difference in our state for our children, for our families, and for our future. And in this room, I mean, we have read the end of the book. We know how this ends, but it's really rough right now. So before we go to questions, I just want to encourage you on what you can do. What I would ask you to do is pray for all leaders, whether you agree with them politically, religiously, or not. Pray for all leaders. For me, and I would encourage you the same, to repent. For me, it was to repent from complacency. The story I told you that I had talked to my representative said, I never even follow things. You just fight too much. Why would I pay attention? I had to repent from complacency because I was not paying attention to what was going around, going on around right where I was for my entire life in Minnesota. I would ask you to be kind, to have conversations. You don't have to initiate them all the time, but have those conversations, whether it's friends, families, colleagues, whoever that is. Um, but like I said, don't take the bait. Just because you have a conversation you can agree to disagree without agreeing with a controversial thing. You can agree to disagree and you can be kind. Stay informed. Don't use the, I don't even pay attention again. Stay informed, follow the bills, follow what's going on. That's an easy thing to do on the state, the Minnesota legislature website. I can um, kind of give you more information if you need, Google search it, however you want to do it, but speak up. Contacting your local elected people matters. When we hear from people, we actually respond to that. Now you can contact your local, um, whether it's school board, whether it is uh, city council, contact somebody locally, but you can also contact the chairs in the Minnesota legislature, whether it's a chair of a committee in the Senate or a chair of a committee in the House, and let them know what you think about something that they're actually hearing. But I want to caution you on that. Um, there is a faith leader, not directly involved with me, but a faith leader that decided he was going to contact the chair of the um, Health Finance Committee before the abortion bill was going to come up, and he blind copied me on that. And in the line, and I mean, he talks about, he, he leads Bible studies, and he's a, a person of faith, but in this case, I believe he missed it because in the subject line, of a bill that he was sending to the committee chair, he said, all of you Democrats are murderers. 
And then he went on to quote scripture and, and different things within this email. And that's not what we are going to do. That actually put anything in faith and in light. In, and I don't know if that committee chair shares my faith or not. Um, the actions that I see would lead me to believe other than that. But that does no good. And so if you can't be kind in your word, written or spoken, just keep it till God, you know, you can be angry, but do not sin. And that did not move us forward. So just be kind in the way you do it. Encourage leaders. As I talk to you about um, how we leave our families and there's so much pressure and people really like to give opinions on social media and everything else, you know, and they're at you. We hear very little when things go the right way. And I would say encourage your leaders, um, hey, thank you for what you do. You don't even have to agree with them, but thank you for sacrificing um, and what you do. Um, I would also encourage you to stop excessively watching the news or social media. Like I said before, just stop. Um, you can stay informed, but stop. Um, the other thing is run for office or support those who are at any level. That can be school board. Um, our daughter ran for her first term on school board and was elected. And so now we have another family member in an elected official uh, position, and that's the Recorey District, which is really kind of fun um, since I had served there. But some of the resources, when I tell you to stop watching things, um, you're like, well, where am I going to get my information? You know, Star Trip, go ahead and you know, grab the headlines, but make sure you're not just going off of the headlines because they're clickbait and the information isn't there. Search it out for yourself. Some of the resources that I would suggest, and you can Google these, um, Minnesota Family Council, um, they have been very um, active this session in getting people to the Capitol to support causes. They've done a really good job with that. Um, you can also follow them. You can follow them on social for information because they do a good job of getting information out. Um, another uh, publication that's probably a little bit um, left of center is uh, The Morning Take. And it kind of, it's every single morning by Blois Olson. And it just kind of highlights everything going on. You can click in and read the own, your own or read the articles for yourself and make your own decisions, but that's another kind of a snapshot of Minnesota. Um, Alpha News is a good resource um, for different issues that they will put out what is there. And then the Center for American Experiment, another Minnesota-based um, company. Those are some good resources. Are they gonna get everything right every time? No, but call your local elected and say, hey, is this coming up and what does that actually mean? I have talked a really long time. I know we have just a couple minutes left, right, Kristen? Um, and so we can probably take just a few questions. But thank you. Thank you for being so attentive and for your involvement and even wanting to be here. Um, it is very, very much appreciated. So we'll go to, I've got a question here, and then we'll go over here. Go ahead. Um, you know, there are different, we've got on Monday the um, legalization of cannabis coming up, um, and so that is split in our caucus. Um, there are people that believe weed should be legal, and there are people that don't. And so we kind of navigate those on the issues. You know, I personally do not drink um, and don't support that, but that is something that is already legal in our state. So when it came during the pandemic, allowing a short um, amount of time for um, restaurants that already had either beer or wine that they had purchased legally that were going to go bad. We did a, a temporary agreement to allow those to be sold through the, um, the carryout, which you normally can't do. 
I voted yes on that. So even though I don't personally drink, it was something that was already legal that under the circumstances I could support. Now people could challenge me and say I compromised my values. I don't think I did. Legalization, when that comes through, you'll see a no vote on me. So I think learning about the issue, not compromising who you are, but learning completely about the issue and then taking a stand for it, but not a in your face, this is my decision, so all of you are wrong, but trying to have those kind and open conversations. Those are things that have worked well for me. I'm in a very partisan position. City Council is not supposed to be partisan, although in Minneapolis it is, um, but it is not supposed to be partisan. So a little different world. The people that I'm directly serving within my caucus, with the exception of a few issues, we see um, very close together. But thank you for considering running. I think that takes, takes a lot and Minneapolis needs you. We'll go back here. Um, I can't speak to what's going on in New Mexico, but in Minnesota, um, for the, the topic of abortion, that is already constitutionally guaranteed back from the 90s because of Doe v. Gomez. That would not happen. We would have to constitutionally remove that. The extra um, law that has been put in on the books this year would probably prevent it. Time for one more. We'll go back here. Um, so when we are on the House floor, um, we have what's called uh, prayer by the chaplain. And my son-in-law, Ben, has done that for us before, which is lovely. Um, anyone can be invited to give that prayer, and it goes through a process through the chief, chief clerk's office. Um, you don't have to. It's before the roll is taken. So we do the prayer by the chaplain, then the, um, the Pledge of Allegiance, and then they take the roll. So you don't necessarily have to be in there. Um, but all faiths being legal in Minnesota are represented in that. And I do have colleagues that have said, you know, we're not going to be a part of that because we don't agree with, like we had a, um, I'm not going to say, we, we just, it's public and you can see it, but we've had some that are, are very far from God. Um, and I said, I bring the light of Jesus wherever I go. I will stand and be in my seat and bring God's presence into that space every day. Um, that I am there, and so I won't compromise on that. I will not, I mean, they don't ask you to do anything. I don't always bow my head, like I'm not in agreement, but I'm certainly praying hard and fast under my breath. Um, but that is all the time. I want to be cognizant of our time. Thank you again for being willing to be here. <laughs>